Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Product Coffee, where product professionals from Ibotta share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career, 30 minutes at a time. Incremental improvements versus 10x improvements, I think. Is there a better way to say that? Yeah, I wonder if there's a way that we could frame that a little bit more in a way that's relatable. Moonshots versus Moonshots inches. Moonshots versus inches. <laughs> yeah. yeah, making tweaks versus scrapping the whole thing and yeah. starting over. Yeah. yeah. I like mm-hmm. that. Running a 5K instead of a marathon. There you go. I'm doing that this weekend. (laughs) Good good analogies. Are you on the... I am Bergen, one of your co-hosts, and today I am joined by... Jake Worland. Kevin Gentry. Jody Mesa. Jamie Douglas. And that's it. That's That's, that's that's all we got. That's the crew today. That's the crew. Okay, so is anyone today experiencing that challenge? challenge of choosing between the two so here's here's the thought that i've been thinking about i don't think it has to be a choice and in fact as a good product Mm -hmm. manager it shouldn't be a choice as a good pm i think you need to have basically an investment portfolio and you need to have basically a, a range of different bets of different sizes and risk profiles so you should have some incremental bets that you're pretty sure about and then you should have some moonshots, some big ones that you're working on longer term that you don't know will pay off, but if they do, they'll hit big. I'd have to agree with that because I, I've been a part of companies that have both been like all moonshots and it just feels like a constant pivot from one thing to the next. Yeah. But then I've also been part of companies where it's all incremental improvements and it basically just feels like you're not innovating at all and those companies have gone down pretty quickly and are easy to be disrupted so i would agree that like having a good mix of that throughout the life cycle of the product um, really is important for a company to be successful is that something a single pm should own or a broad you know range of pms across a company i think it depends on the company at a company the size of ibotta it's probably better to have that shared and uh, buy a, a group of PMs and have kind of the product strategy and the product portfolio encompass the work of many different PMs. Mm-hmm. But if you're at a small company, if you're like the only PM or if you're on a product team of two or three, then you need to be thinking holistically about your product portfolio. You need to be thinking about, do I have my big bets that I'm not sure will pay off but could change the game mm-hmm. and really push the product forward, enter new markets, define new segments? Um, and then do I have my incremental improvements that I'm testing my way into that I know will work, will work out for the product? Because I think also the problem with only doing big bets is you never get that market feedback. You're waiting months at a time to launch these big bets, and so the market's going to change. Yeah. So how do you make sure that you're still staying really close to the market? And I think you do that by going through these small incremental changes. Mm-hmm. What is a reasonable... What is a 10x improvement? What should that take from a timing and development perspective? And I think that that answer can change based off of the product or the feature. But I think 
in order to get buy-in to these big 10x things, like we're talking about building a new platform as one of our the backend teams that I support here. And it's very difficult with all the conflicting business priorities. How do you get buy-in from leadership to spend X amount of time to build something new because it's going to enable all these future mm-hmm. things um, while still showing that incremental improvements along the way? I guess what is it, my question is, what is a reasonable timeline for that 10x improvement in order to allow the team to stay heads down and focused and actually deliver that 10x thing? I think it's a part of the... Uh like more of like a strategic timeline, like when does mm-hmm. it need to be done by? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and think about, and, and, and maybe that's not clear, yeah. which makes it harder. Um, yeah. But I think it's a balance of like when to deliver it at the right time mm-hmm. and how do you, you manage your portfolio that way, right? Yeah. Is it more important to deliver the incremental improvements now versus that in the long term and eventually getting to it? Or what's that, what's that immediacy to... Um, push forward and invest in that platform could yeah. be a, a variety of things right like the market yeah. need mm-hmm. the uh um, the user need seasonality um, yep seasonality yeah. that's a good question or a mm-hmm. good point i think it gets a little bit tricky there because then you start to get into timeline driven development mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that gets a little yeah. bit dangerous and i think the way How that do you I, balance that though, right right i think the way that i look at it is leaders of a company are generally not looking for output as much as they are looking for outcomes. Mm -hmm. And if you're going with one of those big bets, Mm -hmm. that's going to take a quarter, two quarters to actually bring to market. Are there incremental learnings you can deliver to the business along the way, right? Can you go run a test that kind of tests one of the the fundamental hypotheses or assumptions that you're making as part of this big bet? Uh, And can you deliver those learnings to the business so you can show that, yes, we're on the right track. We Mm -hmm. haven't delivered that product yet, but we're on the right track, and Mm -hmm. here's how we know that. That's a great point. It's almost like more Mm pre-validation as you're getting to this big bang launch because, you know, I think that just the industry in general has found that those big bang launches, like, don't work really well. By the time you get there, if you're not testing along the way, if you're not making incremental improvements at the same time to get to that North Star, you really... Uh, lose touch with the market and you could produce something that totally falls on its face so I think that's a great point mm-hmm. so how, how would you go about if you have this kind of um, this, this more 10x improvement how do you go about breaking that down and um, testing it in those iterative chunks I'm a big believer in uh, being able to do this kind of qualitative quantitative data analysis that leads to incremental improvements in your current product. Um, So we're looking at some big improvements, obviously, uh, in the uh, home screen and, you know, some big elements, the navigation, the information architecture. But we're looking at how can we make improvements and move things around. Now that we have a general idea of where we want to go, how do we move things around in a way where you're adding benefit in little chunks, you're measuring along the way, you're conducting user research. So it really is kind of what Jake was speaking to is just, you know, we have a vision of where we're going. It's still a little bit fuzzy because hopefully along the way, the research will help to validate it or we'll make adjustments and changes like as we get there, but not selling that like, especially with stakeholders, that this is the end vision. Everything's going to look pixel perfect like this in 18 mm. months. To really like bring people along this journey and say, we're testing this, here's some results from this home screen test that we're running, here's some learnings that we found from this user research, we're making some adjustments kind of as we go. I think that's a really important 
part of making it not feel like this big black box. <laughs> yeah, I think to that point too, right? Like at w any product change, you're making assumptions about your users and the problems they have and the solutions that they will find valuable, right? So if you can go test those assumptions along the way and make sure that you have the right understanding of the problem of your users and how they would find value in solving that problem, then great, right? Like I know Ibotta, we're talking about a pretty su substantial big chunk change, right? But when we started talking about this eight months ago, how different is it today, right? And what have yeah. we done over the last five months to change our thinking and our knowledge of how our users think and operate and what problems they have they'd like to solve? Yeah, I, so I'm Zach LaGreca, jumping in late today. Um, so just a quick intro. Um, I agree with that. I think uh, when you're looking to, to make improvements on the scale of you know 10 times the impact that you're currently making, it's important to use uh, data and, and not opinions because a lot of times when you're, you're trying something that is that bold and ambitious, uh, the natural response from a lot of people is going to be, there's no way that could work. And a lot of times that's actually true. But uh, to try and validate ideas along that scale of not just an iterative improvement that will make something slightly better that um, is a pretty easy sell, making something 10 times better can be a lot harder. And so any data you have is, is going to help you make that case. Yeah, I like what you said about the assumptions and, and validating those or, or disproving them. Um, you know, we, we here at Ibotta have this thing called a product brief. We kind of start our document or our um, different ideas out with that brief and there's a column there for assumptions. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important that maybe each of those assumptions ends up being a test, right? Or some sort of test that we can go and either disprove or prove. Yeah, I guess I have a qu another question. I'm full of questions versus <laughs> insight today, I guess, but this is helpful for me. Um, as somebody now focused on a back-end team and platform, it's very, e not easy is not the word, but I think it's a lot more straightforward to show stakeholders, to show executives incremental progress on front end and mm -hmm. improvements to the user experience. But selfishly asking as somebody focusing on a new platform for the back end team, how do you show those incremental improvements while still getting, like I think Jamie and I might have a similar, like we're, we're working on similar big picture things for a back end feature of the app. <clears throat> But it's easy to derail those priorities because there's some quick wins that we can do to show improvements on the front end. So, so this is a perfect example. Let's use what we just mentioned, the assumptions. So what are the assumptions with your the platform that you're building? Uh, the assumptions are that there's issues with the process today. Mm -hmm. We lose the business money when we launch things wrong. If we work on this bigger feature or big, bigger future platform, mm -hmm we will be able to sell a certain feature easier to consumers. It'll make the internal setups a lot easier, less error prone, et cetera, et cetera. So, so there, there's plenty of things there we can measure, right? Like yeah. the OPEX, um, yeah. right? I mean, OPEX could be measured a lot of different ways, but maybe time to set up, mm -hmm. steps to set up, mm -hmm. um, amount of errors, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're testing, maybe those are some assumptions that you can go test. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I'm working similar with a platform and a back-end system, and mm -hmm. one of the assumptions is, oh, if we move to this pricing, this new pricing model, we'll lose a bunch of money. So, okay, let's go validate that, and let's model that out with the analytics and see, will we, or yeah. is this really a good opportunity for us? Yeah. Um, so I, it's not so visual, right. but it might be those kind of like, well, if we do this, we'll improve it by this much, and yeah. um, this is how we validated that, and 
And also, I think another way to test that is probably like some internal mocks in terms of uh, uh, process processes, yeah. right? Like, so if we yeah. have a team that's setting these things up, putting just wireframes in front of them and just say, oh yeah, this is, I can do this in this many steps, right? right. And much quicker. Um, maybe it's, those are some. It's kind of like an MVP of a backend system, right? And I think it's, it's a very different conversation with non-technical leadership about right. backend systems because they don't have the same kind of opinions about what the solution is. Mm -hmm. yep. It's almost like, can you make sure that they understand what the problem is, understand what those assumptions yeah. are, and then sure. convince them that you're that you're investing in the right places and in the right ways, right? Yeah. If you go and say, yeah, it's going to take us four months to build this entire new platform, the first question that's going to come out of the leadership's mouth is like, well, is that the best thing we can be doing right yeah. now? Yeah. So just having that ability to answer that question with data, to Zach's point earlier, uh, and I think, Kevin, you brought up a good point, like lean on your analytics team, right? Mm -hmm. Backend systems is all about moving data back and forth and moving just kind of like the pipes, right? Yeah. And can you can you go run an offline data analysis to prove out those questions and those assumptions that you've put forward? Yeah, I think that's a great point. The other thing that I would add to that as well is I like the idea of thinking of product as full stack as well, right? The improvements you're making, even though they're a back-end system, they allow for a less confusing experience on the front end, right? And that really impacts the way that uh, users are able to interact with your content and your product. A lot of times when the setup process is wrong, it's, you know, it is the, you know, end users who suffer from that as well. And mm -hmm. so thinking about it as that, uh, you know, those can also be your success metrics as well. So yeah. not so much as like back end, front end, but also what are some of those items that you're, that you're impacting for the consumer as well? Yeah. I think one of the other challenges too is, um, is, you know, the diversity of audiences that you're communicating with and something that Charlie has done well historically and the reason why he's been so successful, at least with that squad, is because he does a road show really well. He makes sure that every single group knows what they're working on and um, he's able to give that information out on a regular basis. It's hard to do. It feels sometimes like you're repeating yourself mm -hmm. forever, but I think that's one way to also con to continue to get buy-in from yeah. people. Yeah, I think like the back-end kind of gets forgotten in some ways because yeah. it is not so in your face so I think that that's a good point of just continually bringing up why mm -hmm. like what are the big problems that we're solving um, and try to relate that back to um, that, that group's kind of pain points yeah um, and oftentimes your stakeholders are internal right what are the yeah. internal pain points mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. opposed to front-end users when, right. you're a, yeah. when mm -hmm. you're a front-end PM thinking about like, oh, what are like my user's pain points? Well, for a back-end product manager, you're talking to sales, you're talking to marketing, you're talking to other engineering teams, mm -hmm. and it's all about efficiency too, right? Like how do we become more efficient in our processes and how do we accomplish more while expending less? Mm -hmm. So what happens when you're the PM on the moonshot? You know, there are some obvious projects that feel immediately valuable and understandable, but ones that are a little bit bolder, a little bit crazier. How do you continue to get buy-in for that? I, I, I guess not speaking to my experience here, but um, in my previous role, we were exploring the idea of a new app altogether and building in something from the ground up for individuals with disabilities. And I think what I 
noticed resonated the most with my internal stakeholders was providing like that direct feedback back to the business from personas that we would be building this product for. So I think whether or not that's in a backend product or project, a front end user experience, if you can show the value to your internal teams or your internal stakeholders that you would be providing for this population, whether it's existing customers or new altogether, new to category, I think the to your point of a roadshow, I would report out on that every two weeks to the business. These are the interviews that I conducted. This is the feedback that was gathered. Here's what it looks like visually, like just kind of presentation out to an audience. I think if you can constantly remind your internal teams who you're doing this for and why that's really important, uh, that that worked really well for me at that time. Again, that was front end, so it's easier to see, you know, this is how the users would benefit from X. Um, I'm, I'm in a new role here on a backend team, so I'm, I'm still learning that expertise here, but it seemed to resonate really well, at least as it pertained to front end features. Yeah, I, I think there's like kind of three things in my experience when you're working on something that is kind of a moonshot or traditionally, like not the traditional business that your company is working on. And so the first thing I think is to really like continually set the like set and push the vision of what you're trying to do and why that ties into the company so that even though it's such a different experience there's a reason for that and then I think the second thing kind of ties into that is um, to bet on trends and to use that as part of your reasoning um, and you know I think communicating that certain trends that are happening in the marketplace are things that you your company wants to ride the tailwinds of you know whatever product you have that's currently successful um, that may be currently successful with some aspect of the market but the market changes and quickly and often um, and so being able to identify that and being able to target these are the trends we're going after based on this connection to our value proposition uh, can help get buy-in and then I think the third point is what we've already talked about which is Reinforced with data and not just opinions, mm -hmm. uh, even though there are generally a lot of opinions when you're when you're making a bet like that. But I think those are kind of the three things um, that you see. Um, I, I think an interesting example of that would be a company like Blockbuster, where you know if you imagine the products they were working on and what their customers were interested in 15 years ago, you know it was probably uh, longer periods without. Uh, having to pay a fee if you're, you're late to return your video or <laughs> being able to pick up without having to talk to the person at the, the video stand or more uh, more copies of certain movies because oh, sometimes I go and that movie's out. Those are the type of improvements that I think companies like Blockbuster were working on. Meanwhile, you have someone like Netflix who's shipping physical DVDs to people and instead of doubling down on that prospect of, oh, let's double our inventory, uh, they were able to identify trends, and that is that people are streaming things, people are watching YouTube, um, that's how people are accessing accessing video content, and we need to be doing that. And so if you look at companies who have followed trends and then set a vision, you know, for Netflix, it's, you know, where you go to watch things at home, that's how you, how you relax, how you find any content you might want to watch on any device. They really set a vision, they followed some trends, um, and you know, they're a very data-driven company, so they, they weren't just using opinions. But I think you can kind of start to see the differences of companies who um, aren't really focused on, on those elements. Well, I think it, it, that's a great example of incremental versus big bad thinking, right? Like Blockbuster made those incremental changes that you were just describing, and then Netflix was like, no, we're going to make the big bet on basically home delivery, right? And that just shifting the paradigm 
of thinking in terms of how do you ship product, how do you design products, how do you look at the problems in the marketplace and look at the new opportunities available to you. In mm-hmm. Netflix's case, it was technology. Yeah. Right? It was home delivery, and it was making that actually a viable business model. Um, I think that kind of ties in with trends like in, in a really important way, and that is that like this isn't to say that iterative improvements are, you know, 10% improvements, things like that are, are bad or we should never do them. Actually, that's not true at all. Um, but being able to identify at what point is it better to target like a completely fundamental change in strategy as opposed to making this one thing a little better. And that it's hard to identify, but I think it's just that. It's like looking at trends in the marketplace, looking at uh, opportunities. And I think the other key point you mentioned is like, what are the problems that are being faced in the marketplace? And if you have a product that solves a problem, but there's a connected, also big problem not being solved, making the one aspect of the problem a little bit better is only going to get you so far. And you know, someone eventually is going to start solving that other big problem. And if it's not you, you could very much lose market share. Can I ask a follow-on question to that? No. Where do you, <laughs> where do you find the best source of information for trends? Like That's a very big, yeah. big question. But that's a, I think you make a really great point. I don't. How did how did we tackle that with PWI for those on the? I personally pay with Ibotta. Sorry, yeah, just for folks that don't know, because yeah. acronyms are a thing here. <laughs> yeah, acronyms are great. We have thousands. <laughs> um, yeah, pay with Ibotta is a is a product that that I'm working on in particular. So for trends, I like to consult the the spirit of Steve Jobs. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I wish I could. I call him and he answers. Yeah, <laughs> he tells me tells me if it's a good product idea. Um, no, that's uh, that's a really tough one. I think that question is incredibly messy. Um, this is going to sound really stupid, but Google is mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I use incredibly often. But I, I think I think <laughs> there's this thing called Google. If you've ever heard of it, uh, no. But I think the follow-on to that is like knowing what signs to look for. So mm-hmm. I think looking at uh, disruptor companies and yeah. like spaces adjacent to what you're doing is yep. really important mm-hmm. to understand. Um, less what products are they building and more what problems are they identifying. Yeah. And I think that's that's the real key is like trying to keep a good pulse on problems in your direct industry and in industries mm-hmm. that are uh, adjacent to that. Because when you look at like product-specific things, it may not look like another company or another opportunity is really related. I think a good example of that would be um, Ford back, when I say back in the day, I mean like 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Like when Ford was working on cars, it may not immediately have seemed like a threat to like horses. Like it's a, it seems like a very different product. But at the end of the day, like that fundamentally changed how transportation works. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because the the problem and the opportunity they were targeting was something that you know a, a different product was kind of addressing, mm-hmm. but not in in the same way or anywhere near on the same scale. Yeah. I think another good example would be um, Kodak. So, you know, they were a very, they were completely focused on cameras, making incredible camera technology. Um, and so why would, a, why would a company who makes computers and phones be as much of a threat? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the iPhone uh, okay. kind of changed fundamentally how we take mm-hmm. most of our pictures. Um, so I would say that, like, don't just look at products. Look at yeah. the problems in your, your market and the problems that others are finding in relation to that. Yeah. And that's, that's where you want to keep your eye on. I think it, it's two things to kind of think through what, what you're describing. It's one, what's the fundamental problem, right? Like with Ford, it's getting people from A to B, mm-hmm. 
right? That they saw that problem and they saw new means of solving it in ways that were innovative and cost-effective. Like there was mm-hmm. a return on that, right? Like you think about other companies, maybe Kodak is taking a picture, right? And sharing it, right? What is that fundamental issue? And a lot of times these problems have been around forever, mm-hmm. right? And it's just different ways of solving that problem. And I think to your point of adjacent companies, these are new companies with fresh takes on the same problem. Keep in touch with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I see what you know, technologies are being applied to solving some of these age-old problems. Yeah. I think, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, the other thing that I would add to that as well, that I think product managers hopefully always think about, but I know earlier in my career I didn't, was the direction of the company. Like, what are they looking to do? If they're looking to be acquired, if they're looking to merge and become like a behemoth in an industry, if they're looking to be a high growth company and a disruptive company, really the overall business direction will depend uh, or have a big influence on what direction or what adjacent markets you're looking at, uh, what other companies, what products, what problems you're trying to solve. And I think that's something, uh, uh, I think that's something that gets that at least I didn't think about early on in my career that I've learned uh, over the years as well. It's like if you're, if you know, if they're looking to, um, uh, you know, they're looking for investment feedback, like they're going to take that and that's going to be a good source of inspiration for like what you put, should pursue and what problems are going to be prioritized. So, yeah. That's a great point. I think as a product manager, you know, as someone founding their own company, you can kind of go do all those great things <laughs> we've just talked about. As a product manager, you do have that, uh, additional level of you know leadership and other stakeholders in the company, and so um, I think that's another place where you know data and being able to communicate trends and vision well is important. Um, and of course, like you said, like you have to connect that to what you know the company's doing. If the company's overall mission isn't anywhere near in line with that, then it's you know likely not going to pan out. And so you know maybe if you have a product vision that's you know that bold, go start your own thing or find a company that's more more in line with that problem space um, or if you think there is a connection but maybe it's it's one that is not immediately apparent and that's I think where you look at really hone in on trends on problems in uh, adjacent markets and then mm-hmm. find ways to connect that to the the core vision of, of the business you're in okay. I think there's there's one last thing that I wanted to, to bring to bring it back to kind of defending the big picture vision the big bet one thing that I was thinking about as we were having that conversation, I think one one tool that our multitude of listeners could potentially take away from this conversation is just think about constantly refreshing the evidence. And if you think about that, if you if you have a, an issue in, in maintaining that buy-in and getting leadership to stick with you and stick with the idea, just think about refreshing that evidence and presenting it back to them to keep it fresh in their mind, right? They're not going to have the attention span required of getting that product to market if it's four to five months. So just keep refreshing that evidence for them, um, and they should hopefully stay with you. That's a great point. So what, what <coughs> what's some good homework that we can give to our listeners for this week? I think one thing you can do is as you're, you're looking to do something that's 10x as opposed to uh, incremental. I think the first thing you should look at as is uh, based on the current state of your business. Does it make sense to try and do something mm-hmm. 10x versus incremental? Look at um, the problem space in your your market, and then look at the problem spaces like kind of adjacent to what you're uh, what you're doing, and see if you can identify others who are finding uh, 
problems that you're not tackling, but that if you could, would be incredibly valuable. And then I think the, the second piece I would offer is uh, look at the impact that you'd like to have, from, whether it's driving you know, a certain amount of new users or revenue or some other metric and um, add another zero to the end of, of what you'd like to do. And mm -hmm. so instead of doing that to like the effort, so saying, you know, I think it's a common question of what would you do if you, you had you know, 50 engineers? Um, and that's always a great question, but instead kind of flipping that a little bit and saying, what would you, you do if you could drive, like how would you drive 500 million downloads? Mm -hmm. And the, the good thing about that exercise is that it can force you to start to think in really different ways because a lot of times you can't fundamentally just use basic steps to try and get there. You have to think about things from different angles. Cool. So share your stories in the comments. Um, that'll help everyone else in the product community and um, we can learn from that. Fantastic. Well, that wraps up our product coffee for the week. Looking around the room, I think everyone's finished their coffee, so I think we're, we're done for the yeah. day. I uh, hope you enjoyed your coffee. Uh, now it's time to go level up. <laughs>